0: Let's pray, and we'll look at our story today. Father, we, do, um, we thank you, oh Lord, for the birth of Christ. We thank you for his coming. As we've uh, sung today, Lord, we uh, thank you that he came uh, to save sinners. We thank you that uh, he came to, to dwell amongst us, that, uh, as Emmanuel says, that, uh, that, that God tabernacled with us that in Christ we were able to see you. Uh, We thank you uh, for his example, for his life, uh, ultimately for the cross, where he was sacrificed as the perfect sacrifice as the Lamb of God, and that in him we can have life, and in him we have joy, and we celebrate, and we give thanks that we've been reconciled to you through him and father as we look at the story of his incarnation today uh, we ask that you would help us um, to see what you've revealed to us i ask that you would help uh, this very well-known story not to be um, routine to us but that we would really consider that which has been recorded for us uh, in this passage Father, we pray that you would help us to grow closer uh, to Jesus. Uh, If we don't know him as Savior, we pray that you would uh, help those amongst us who um, need help in in understanding the gospel, um, that they would see clearly, that they would trust in Christ for salvation. And for those of us that know him, we ask, Father, that our joy would not grow cold, um, that our Love and zeal for you would flourish. Uh, We are grateful for this opportunity that we have to worship you, uh, to study your word uh, without fear and in peace. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd make the most of our time with each other right now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we do thank you for your word we ask that you would help us to understand what was said in this passage the uh, implications of these truths in our own lives lord we ask that you would uh, help us in our walk with you and it's in christ's good name we pray amen okay so last week we looked at the uh this really the same story but but through the lens of of mary and her discovery of what would uh, happen in her life. Um, in the gospel accounts, we really only have Matthew and Luke to sort of, uh, splice the story together. Mark starts out, uh, at Jesus's earthly ministry, uh, about 30 years old when he begins ministering as an adult. Uh, John, the same way, uh, gets, gets going, uh, later on. And so Luke really follows Mary's account, um, how the story unfolded for Mary. Last week, we um, saw and learned that she was likely a young lady, probably 12 or 14 years old. Uh, We learned that she was engaged to Joseph. Uh, We learned that she was in Nazareth, the the northern part of Israel, uh, when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and explained uh, that she would conceive and that she would have a a child. And, And we were sort of left with Uh, that she was pondering these statements. She was sort of taken back. She didn't understand how this could be since she had never uh, been with a man. She was holding out until she consummated her relationship with Joseph. Uh, The angel gave her peace, said, don't be afraid um, to give you assurance of the things I'm speaking of. You have a relative, Elizabeth, who's in the southern part of Israel, uh, who's a much older lady who was barren. And she's told that she was with child uh, to sort of affirm the things. And so Mary, uh, in the midst of her confusion and not understanding, she um, she took what the angel said by faith. Um, she allowed God to sort of, I don't want to say to wreak havoc in her life, but, but her, her plans of getting married and to go about how they had sort of intended things to go, there was going to be a radical upheaval in how her life would unfold. And she allowed God to sort of set the course in her life. Um, Math, uh, or Luke follows all of uh, the genealogy of Mary back, which she has all of the genealogy, um, tracing to fulfill all of the prophecies. Uh, where Matthew, uh, he follows the genealogy of Joseph, Uh, Jesus is what would be his adoptive father, uh, who he also has all of the genealogy to take him to fulfill all the prophecy, but it follows a different line. Matthew starts his book in a very boring way, by my standard, probably by all of our standards. Uh, The first 17 verses are all genealogy, that so-and-so begot so-and-so, and and -and so-and-such, and such, and the part where we... Uh, drift off as we read through the Bible. Um, Matthew is concerned with showing um, that Jesus fulfills and fits um, all of the prophecies concerning him. He's writing to a Jewish audience. He is proving his case that there is no other person that could fulfill these prophecies. So we get through the 17 verses and we come to the account of Joseph Um, we're not going to go into great detail, but the line that Joseph follows, it would take you up uh, to a man, Jehoiachin, who in Jeremiah chapter 22, um, he was an evil king. He um, basically was cursed in verse 30 of Jeremiah 22, 30. Um, And the curse is that nobody from his bloodline, none of his children, grandchildren, would be able to continue uh, the kingly line of David, and it was effectively stopped. Now the reason that this is interesting, and you can follow up on your own, uh, is that Joseph comes through that line. And so even if Joseph was the biological father of Jesus, Jesus then would be excluded from being able to uh, be the Messiah because we're told that that there would be no king through this bloodline. Yet the promises sort of rested in the bloodline. But Joseph, being the adoptive father, they, the, this this uh, this problem is circumvented because, as an adopted child, he would have all rights to the family line. Yet he doesn't carry the blood of Joseph. Um, but that's for you guys; you, you can wrestle with that on your own. It's fascinating to me. And so we come to verse eighteen. Um, we read, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows after the genealogy. <clears throat> we immediately get to this great man of Joseph. I don't know why there's not more Christmas songs written about him. He is a great example of faith. He's a great example of trusting God. Uh, he's a, a, a great example of a, of a biblical, godly man um, that honors God with his life uh, through difficult circumstances. So Matthew says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. I'm going to stop there because I want the weight of the situation to to rest on our shoulders. See if I if I read the phrase by the Holy Spirit, it sort of is like the oh, by the Holy Spirit is so oh, this is easy to get through by the Holy Spirit, Matthew is sharing this with us in hindsight, um, for us to enter into Joseph's shoes in this situation we need to take away by the Holy Spirit. Um, I so wish, I wish there was like the Reader's Digest or People Magazine or something that, that gave us more information kind of connecting the pieces between Luke and Matthew, but, but we don't have them. So in Luke, which we looked at last week, we see that the angel came and said all of this stuff to Mary. And then if we were to pick up the story in Luke, which we're going to do next week, we'll see that she heads down south. She goes down to Judea. Um, she connects with Elizabeth. She stays there for three months. And then Luke just kind of goes into the story. Matthew doesn't really say much about the encounter that, that Mary had with the angel, but when we read this and we read when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child so Mary's encounter with the angel prior to Joseph's encounter with the angel prior to his encounter he got word and I don't know how this went down I imagine Mary came to him (laughs) Joseph we need to sit down and have a talk how do you have this talk? I mean, how, how do you explain to your engaged person? Now, betrothed, it's not like engagement in our, it, it, to be engaged in our culture, you can break an engagement, no, no problem. To, uh, to break an engagement during this era, it, it would require a, a divorce. In fact, in verse 19, we'll see that Matthew refers to Joseph as her husband. This is the seriousness of it that they were effectively legally married. However, they, were, they would not consummate the relationship until the, 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 the groom had made preparations at the house. It would take about a year. So here's Mary. She's engaged to Joseph. The angel breaks the news to her. She then has the encounter with the Holy Spirit where now she's pregnant with a child and she meets with Joseph along the way. I mean, we can only imagine, I mean, it doesn't take much imagination to figure out how difficult this conversation was. The ancient people were not idiots. They knew how people got pregnant there's a story of C.S. Lewis sitting in his office while there's Christmas carolers uh, down in the, the school cart, courtyard singing. And his atheist professor walks in and says, uh, so much better that we know more than they did. And C.S. Lewis is like, what do you mean? The professor's like, well, that, that we know now that you just can't get pregnant by the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis looks at him and kind of loud. He's like, I think they then knew how pregnancy occurred. So young Mary approaches Joseph and says, hey, I had this encounter with the angel. The angel told me I conceived by the Holy Spirit. And in, in fact, since that encounter, I, it's happened and I'm pregnant. But don't worry, it was God that did it. We all laugh because who in their right mind would buy this story? Joseph is, this, 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 his whole encounter is a guy who's extremely stressed out who's tossing and turning in his tr- sleep or trying to sleep, trying to figure out what to do because there, there, are, there are no easy answers. It, this, this story always reminds me, you know, I, I feel my wedding ring jiggling around on my finger right now. And this time of year, I, Ann and I, we got engaged in October 16 years ago. We were married in February, so Christmas always falls in that window of, of reflection. Um, that that engagement, there's excitement there. There's 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 excitement, anticipation, uh, especially when you do things God's way. And I remember it was about this time. You know, if we got engaged in in October, by the time December rolled around, I I owned this wedding ring. Like, you know, they don't just appear. So I like we'd gone to the jewelry store. I said, I want that one. I bought the wedding ring, and this sat in my apartment, and I I. I remember being in that little apartment kind of in the afternoon, all alone, kind of, well, that just feels like an annoying piece of jewelry I got to wear. I didn't really wear jewelry before I got married. And I'm like, one day I'm going to put that on, like, and I'll be married. I'd slip it off. And I said, like, well, it doesn't feel any, like, what? One day in a couple weeks, I'm going to do this, and it's going to mean I'm married. And, and, and the, the whole idea just like a ping pong ball bouncing around, the excitement of it, like, you know, before you marry, oh, how many kids? Well, I think we'll be married like two years, six months, and uh, three and a half weeks, and on that, then we'll have our first child, and it's gonna be a boy, and then we'll be married another three years, and then we'll have a second child, and that one will be a girl, that would be, g- you, you know, you kind of, in your mind, you map it all out like you have any control over any of this stuff. But I... I'm trying like Joseph would have been super excited. He's effectively married, but waiting to consummate the relationship. So so he's at home, likely building onto his family's property, like getting the the house all set up, all excited. And then Mary delivers this news. There's nothing this guy can do to, to he's gonna be viewed as a fool. Regardless, he stays with her. He's either going to be viewed that they had inappropriate relationships and they had this child basically out of wedlock, or he's going to be the fool in town that believes the the one lady in history who was miraculously had uh, had a child, and this fool believes it. He breaks off the engagement, which means that they had to go get a divorce and now he's the divorce guy in town that his family's name is shamed he loves mary and Ma- mary can get in a whole lot of trouble like the the weight of the mosaic law on this that that, that if joseph wanted to she she could ha- have severe punishment poured out upon her But all, but, but all we have, I mean, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be a child. That's all we got. I wish there was more. Matthew inserts by the Holy Spirit, of course. We, we know the story. Mary didn't do anything inappropriate. We know the story to be true. But That doesn't mean that Joseph, at this point, believed or understood So, in verse 19, we read, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So, there, as I already mentioned, we see that he's identified as her husband to show the severity of uh, what engagement meant during that time frame. We learn about his struggle, we learn about him as an individual. the first thing the scripture says about him is that he was a righteous man. I can think of no greater compliment than to be described as a righteous man. And this isn't just by uh, a a peer saying he was a righteous man. This is the scripture saying that Joseph was a righteous man, that he did right in the eyes of the Lord, that he'd lived faithfully that he wanted to please God in all of his actions. He wanted to please God in his relationships. He, he was a man that clearly in his relationship with his, uh, his fiance pre the right time, they, he lived in a way that was honoring with God. He was doing everything right. And then we learned that he didn't want to disgrace Mary. He, at his disposal, had, had the whole weight of the Mosaic law, uh, the bazooka. He could have decimated Mary. He, uh, you know, while the Old Testament law that she could have been executed I don't know that they would have actually were actually uh, doing that during that era, but, but he could have shamed her, her completely, her family. He had everything on his side biblically to damn this young lady. But we see as he wrestled with God as he's trying to sleep, that he's a righteous man and in his righteousness, we see that he doesn't want to disgrace her. So he's trying to, to come up with a plan like, how do I get out of this and preserve my family name to preserve the reputation of Mary? Like, and so where he comes up with his plan to basically send her away. This is another question I have. In in Luke, where we left off last week, immediately Mary goes down to Elizabeth and she spends three months there. It it, it makes you wonder, was this part of his plan? But But according to Matthew, it seems like while he came up with this plan, the angel sort of intervened before Joseph could put his plan into motion. when I look at Joseph and I look at this story, the first thing that I learned from Joseph, not only just in his righteousness, but in his righteousness, one of the lessons I learned in why he's described as a righteous man is that while he had um, the, the right, the ability, the capacity to use the Mosaic Law in all of its vigor to shame her, he withholds the wrath of the law upon her. That even though he had a right to do that, he exercised mercifulness, he exercised grace, even though he rightly could have condemned her. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy who loves justice. There's something wired into me, I think it's from my previous vocation, like I, if there's a wrong I want it righted. If somebody has wronged somebody, I want to bring justice onto the person that's done evil. Like it's just, uh, this is a confession. I'm not, I'm not holding myself up. I, I, I struggle with a sense of justice. And so what I see from Joseph, just because, there's, there, that, that just because there's a right or a place for justice, that sometimes honoring God means that you withhold wrath that could be rightly due to somebody, and you exercise grace, you exercise mercifulness. And to see the spirit of this young man who had all of his plans, all of his dreams, everything ripped from him in the moment that he received news that his fiance was pregnant with a with a crazy story. Like, like, Can you imagine? I mean, I I keep thinking, can you imagine? Like if your fiance told you that she got pregnant by God, like who would believe that? Like no matter how nice, how how, you might want to believe it with everything, I, I would have a hard time. And so he's come up with this plan. And as he's come up with his plan to send her away secretly, discreetly, to to preserve her reputation, we see that God sent this angel in verse 20. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, we don't know who this angel is up to this point. We've seen that the angel Gabriel has uh, made the appearance to uh, Elizabeth and her husband concerning the birth of their actually to the husband uh, Zacharias concerning the birth of John the Baptist. We see that Angel Gabriel um, made his appearance to Mary concerning um, Christ's coming. <clears throat> I can't say that it's the able, angel Gabriel, but it, it seems like reasonable that it could be the angel Gabriel, but I don't think that that really matters. So this angel appears to him in a dream, which if he's dreaming, he's sleeping. I see this as a sleep that's, the poor guy's tossing and turning, you know, when you want to sleep, but you can't sleep. And then even when you are asleep, you're actually dreaming about the stress that's your, what you're stressed out about before you went out. So you can't really tell the difference between sleep and awake, but he's asleep. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and as the angel appears to him, there's a few facts that are revealed to Joseph by the angel. I imagine <clears throat> that everything that was revealed to him was confirmation of the story that Mary had told him. Behold, an angel of the Lord, verse 20, appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Now, note it's not, uh, with Mary, it was don't be afraid of my appearance. Don't be a- afraid that I'm here speaking to you. Look at what Joseph is. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. why would he be afraid to take Mary as his wife? I don't even know that I need to answer this question. Like in that pre-married, about to cross the line of marriage, there's all sorts of fears. Like, is this the person I'm really supposed to marry? I think so. I, I, I mean given the perfect situation, there's like, it's a commitment that's for the rest of your life and so when you make these vows, you're committing to something and it's like, is this the right thing? Now throw in there that this person that you have decided to give your life to and to spend the rest suddenly appears to you and says she's pregnant and it's of God. Uh, I would be really fearful of, um, as a pastor that does a lot of premarital counseling, If I had a young couple that there's a girl who's pregnant by God and there's a young man who loves God and has been walking with Jesus his whole life, my counsel to him would be like, you might not want to yoke your life with this person because they might be crazy. Um, At best case scenario, the best case is they're crazy and they literally think that God did this to them. At worst case, this is This is adultery. Like, and there's no greater violation of trust than infidelity within the union of marriage. And so here you have Joseph wrestling through. He's married to her by betrothal, not by consummation. I think he's afraid of what is he? What is he doing? Pursuing this. But the angel assures him, don't be afraid to marry Mary. This is the person that you're supposed to marry and there's no greater thing to have the assurance of God that the person that you're married to is the person that God has provided and if you're married, I assure you that that person that you're married to is the person that God has provided to you. So he gets assurance from this angel that he's supposed to marry her, not to be afraid of this. The angel then expands and says, "The child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." I can only imagine this poor guy in the whirlwind of his thoughts. It's like this sounds like the same story she told. Am I dreaming? Like, I've never encountered an angel as far as I'm aware of. But if I was asleep and I had this, dr- I had a dream and an angel came and told me all this stuff. I kind of would think I'm going crazy. This whole story. There's no evidence of this. Joseph, I think, realizes who he's encountered. And the angel says that, that, that is, as Mary says, this, this child that she's carrying is of God. And, and she, in essence, is carrying the promised Messiah. She wasn't unfaithful to you. Everything Everything that you felt about your fiance, about how she loved God and walks with God, and, and you want to link your life with her as a righteous man who wants your union to display the glory of God and to honor him in all things, this is exactly the person who Mary is. And this is exactly why the Father has chosen her to bring the Messiah Verse 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. <clears throat> and he says the reason that he'll be named Jesus is because it's the name that aligns with his mission statement, his purpose of coming. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. First 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul as he writes Timothy and he's encouraging this young pastor in leading the church, there, there are certain truths that he wants him to cling to. <clears throat> and in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, what he tells young Timothy, he says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm the foremost of all. It says, Jesus came first and foremost. His mission statement was to make payment for sin. That he would be the lamb of God that would be sacrificed on the cross as an atonement for the sins of the world. That the wrath of God would be placed on him and by God's grace, people could have life in him through faith. Um, I started reading a book a, a little while ago. It's, 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 it's a I've really enjoyed it. I like the author um, Eric Metataxis, is, I think is how you say his name. He wrote a book a few years ago, Bonhoeffer. It was an excellent book. I highly recommend it if you want to learn about Bonhoeffer. But this book is a is a biography about Martin Luther. Um, I think he published it at the 500 year anniversary of the Reformation. And um, Early in the book, pre-Luther's conversion, he's He's at the point where he's explained that Luther has uh, given his life as a monk. He's committed himself to God. He is not saved. He doesn't understand the gospel. He understands the weight of his sin. And there's a page in the book that is one of the most entertaining reads that I've read in a long time. Uh, As a guy that didn't do a whole lot of confession when I was at the Catholic Church, I've always found entertainment in confession especially like messing around in the boxes and stuff and and uh <clears throat> and so the story goes that that Luther in trying to attain salvation he had this clarity and the the weightiness of of how bad his sin was and so he felt like if he wanted to earn merit with God if he wanted to try to justify himself before the Lord it was required that he uh, confess every sin that he had ever, ever committed um, in, in confession. And so the story goes that there was, I think it was a bishop or a, 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 the monk that was overseeing him was the guy who handled confession for all of the, the, the priests or the various monks in this, uh, this, this setting. And the story goes from this guy's journals that Martin Luther at times would be in the confessional with him for six hours, confessing every little sin that he could come up with. And if he had a lapse of thinking about sins, he would then go on to a huge diatribe about the sinfulness of his pride that he couldn't think of any other sins. And the story goes that this bishop is like, Banging his head in the, the thing saying, Luther, you're killing me. W- why don't you go have a relationship with a woman and come back with a real sin for me? Go murder somebody. Go do something that's worthy of confessing. You're chasing gnats around and you're you're confessing these these sins. And it kind of like that they're arguing with each other in the confession. Luther's like, No, I don't I don't know why these other guys aren't confessing as much as I am, but I have. So much sin. I confess it all to you. I spend six hours. I take one step out of the box and then I have another thought about something else i had done. And so I need to enter back in. And the story goes that this guy finally sent Luther away to try to give him some, some clarity. He sends him to Rome and you know I'm getting ahead of the story. But, but Luther finally came to faith in Christ and understanding that it was God's grace that he couldn't earn his salvation. And the reason I bring this up is when we read this line that his name is Jesus and he will save his people from their sins, you need to understand your sin. See, we're so easy at dismissing our sin, like, "Oh, it's not that big of a deal." We're all sinners, yeah, we're all sinners. Yeah. But we're not—we're not measuring each other for our trying to get life with God. We're measuring up against a holy God that speaks creation into existence. So I suggest that each one of us need to come to that place where Luther was, where really the burden of your sin is burdensome. That the filth of who you are and your, the desires of your heart that are so wretched, and maybe not even the desires, maybe your actions. I mean, I had plenty of actions, like not alone just talking about like the, my inwardness. I got plenty of externals that are sinful as well. And there's something about reaching that place in your life where the burden of your sin is so heavy and then all of a sudden the gospel comes and it hits you with a clarity that you've never seen before. The uh, V8 moment, the Jesus died for my sins. There's nothing I can do that all I have to, that I believe, that I trust in this message that the Bible says. And we're told from the scriptures that at the moment of belief that the Spirit of God indwells you. And that you have salvation, that you're no longer an enemy of God, but that you have life in Him. And when you experience this life transforming gospel, it results in joy. That's why Christmas is so joyful. Like right now it's all about uh, you know secularism and buying and selling gifts and and don't get me wrong, don't 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 put me up on a pedestal like I, I, I I love Elvis his Christmas CD. I I love watching Elf every year. I like I love Christmas. But the reality of what Christmas represents is the incarnation of Christ, not his origin, because he always existed in eternity past. His birth is when he stepped out of heaven and he took on flesh. And that he would live his life perfectly so that when he went to the cross, he was a worthy sacrifice that could make atonement for our sins. And at this point, Matthew pauses in verses 22 and 23. Is it go to 24? No, 20, the next two verses. Matthew pauses and he adds a parenthetical statement to point out to his readers hundreds and thousands of years of prophecy concerning this Messiah that would come. When he says, the angel says, You're going to name him Jesus for. He will save his people from their sins. Matthew then says, now all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken of through the prophets. And he's going to quote from Isaiah 7.14. And what he says there is, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. This isn't just happenstance this isn't a lock that you can that there's five different keys that work this is this is a lock with so many different settings when i was in japan a couple weeks ago japan i think is kind of on the power curve of technology the guy came in with this key that's like a 400 or 500 dollar key and it looks like an uncut key but on the key there's a bunch of uh, holes and like i can't even like looks like a, if you pushed in a golf ball and made a little hole and then there's some that come out and like just t- hundreds of little bumps and bruises are <laughs> on this key. And it's a key that they say is impossible to duplicate. Like it, it will only work with the, the keyhole and that's why it's a $500 key. Jesus is like the one in a trillion chance of fulfilling all of the prophets. You can't just replicate Jesus. And Matthew recognizes this. All through Matthew, he points out again and again, oh yeah, this one occurrence, this fulfilled this prophecy. And here he points to Isaiah, behold the virgin shall be with child and his name shall be Emmanuel, which translated God with us. Emmanuel literally means that he tabernacled amongst us. The apostle John, he says the same thing in the opening of his gospel in John 1.14. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John basically says, if you want to understand God, if you want to see God, the clearest picture of God that we have as humans is to look at the person of Jesus. Because in the person of Jesus is the clearest picture that we have of the Father. And Isaiah told us that his name will be called Emmanuel, God, with us. From this moment, Joseph, verse 24, we're told, Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as, as his wife. Joseph was no fool. He understood the repercussions of taking Mary as his wife, Um, we see in verse 25, but he kept her virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, that they maintained the purity of their relationship until Jesus was born. Not to beat a dead horse, but the Bible makes it very clear that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Joseph and Mary had children following the birth of Jesus. But Joseph went forward in faith, trusting God's plan, trusting the craziness of the story, knowing that this son who he would adopt and raise as his own son would have a stigma upon him, that Mary and their family would probably be the joke of the town. But he knew that God had a plan. So when I look at this story, I see this, this, this faithfulness, this righteousness of Joseph. I see this, this, this man that wants to honor God. I see his uh, graciousness, his mercifulness to others, a man who'd received much grace in his life and now he lives a life that is graceful. I, I see a man who's willing to uh, take on a child that is not his biologically and to raise him as his own, a very honorable thing. We see Jesus, he's identified as savior. We have joy during this season because of what Jesus came to accomplish. That through him, we have life. Through him, we have much to be joyful of. As we've placed our faith in him, we are no longer under the condemnation of God's wrath that is due us. We're told in this story that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Paul Harvey. I imagine everybody here is, um, is uh, familiar with him. He, um, <clears throat> he tells a story that this time of year, it, it surfaces. And, and I, I enjoy this story that sort of illustrates the importance or the, the meaning of Emmanuel. Radio, radio commentator Paul Harvey tells of a man who did not believe that God had taken human flesh in the person of Jesus. He was a kind, decent family man, but he was skeptical about the message of Christmas and couldn't pretend otherwise. So on Christmas Eve, he told his wife that he was not going to church with her and the children because he just couldn't believe. So they went without him. Shortly after the family left, snow began to fall. As he sat in his fireside chair reading the paper, he was startled by a thudding sound against the house, then another, and then another. At first, he thought someone must be throwing snowballs against the living room window. But when he went to investigate, he found a flock of birds huddled miserably in the snow. They had been caught in the storm and in a desperate search for shelter, had tried to fly, th- had tried to fly through his window. He didn't want to leave the poor creatures there to freeze. He thought of the barn where his children stabled their pony. He put on his coat and boots and trampled through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the door wide and turned on the light, but the birds didn't come in. He went back to the house and got some breadcrumbs and sprinkled a path to the barn but the cold creatures ignored the food and continued to flop around helplessly in the snow. He tried catching them and shooing them into the barn, but they scattered in every direction, frightened by his well-meaning actions. As he puzzled over how he could help save these frightened creatures from death, sure death, the thought struck him. If only I could become a bird and speak their language, then I could show them the way to safety In the warm barn. At that moment, bells from the church rang out through the silent falling snow, heralding the birth of the Savior. The message of Christmas suddenly made sense, and he dropped to his knees in the snow. This is a beautiful story, sort of illustrating why we celebrate or uh, the significance of the celebration of the birth of Christ. You know, in three months, Easter's coming. And heard said that the story of the cradle of Jesus is only significant if you get to the cross of Jesus. So as we conclude, my prayer is that each of us would, um, if you don't know Christ, that you would understand that Jesus died for you. And to access this life transformation, it's simply through belief. It's believing that Jesus did this. It's trusting him, allowing him to move in your life and to direct uh, the steps of your life. Once you understand what he's done for you, you can't help but to be joyful. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the story of the birth of Christ. We thank you that this isn't just some uh, fable or fairy tale as Keith Green sings. That this is truth, as hard as it can be to understand that God would take the form of a man, to dwell amongst us, to lead us, to guide us, to show us what faithfulness to you looks like it is overwhelming. So Father, I pray for those that haven't experienced the the life-altering, the life-shattering conversion that Christ offers. I pray that you would help them to connect the dots of the gospel in their lives, that they would believe, that they would trust, That they would experience new life. And Father, for those of us who have come to faith in Christ, we ask that the story of his coming, that this Christmas season as we recognize Jesus' birth, that this story would never grow old to us, that it would never grow boring. Father, we ask that you would keep us in awe of Christ. Father, help us to live our lives in obedience as Mary and Joseph did. Lord, help us to offer our lives to you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.